Hello and welcome to this audio version of the Universal Prior Substack, where I write about all things related to brains, minds, and their possible uses. My name is Jan, and I'll be reading some of the posts that I publish. If you like what you hear, consider checking out the blog at universalprior.substack.com and subscribe to get a notification whenever a new post is released. And now, without further ado... Serendipitous Connections Applying Explanations from AI to the Brain I recently read the new Transformers circuit work by L. Haget Al at Anthropic. While I'm in no position to judge the importance of the paper for AI, not that it has ever stopped me from sharing my opinion before, the paper made me connect some ideas from neuroscience that I couldn't connect before. This post is capturing those connections. I'm not sure if all of this is novel, but it was novel for me. If you just want to read the idea, feel free to skip to the section, put it together, it just makes sense. If you know a bit of neuroscience, but no machine learning, skip to the section, the residual. If you know a bit of machine learning, but no neuroscience, continue with the section's visionary hierarchy and not the full story. If you want everything, just keep reading. And since you're listening, you really don't have a choice. You just have to listen to everything. Visionary hierarchy. There is this idea floating around since at least Hubel and Wiesel that information processing in the brain is hierarchical, in the sense that there are lower and higher levels of information processing. I will call this broad idea the naive hierarchical brain theory, or NHBT, to indicate that probably very few people believe exactly this. Ventral stream. One particularly well-studied example of the NHBT is the ventral stream, a pathway that carries visual information from the primary visual cortex to the temporal lobe. The ventral stream is concerned with extracting properties of objects from the raw input from the retina. The NHBT suggests that 1. After starting from roundish, simple representations in the lateral geniculate nucleus LGN, 2. We get raw edges at the level of the primary visual cortex, V1. 3. We move to flat shapes in the secondary visual cortex, V2. 4. We skip V3. 5. And finally onto the quaternary visual cortex, V4, for three-dimensional objects. In animals that care about faces, we then move on to the inferior temporal cortex, IT, to represent faces and Jennifer Aniston in particular. Once we've reached this very high-level representation, we might implement certain high-level behavioral strategies like see tiger, then run away, or see grandmother, then don't run away. Building neural representations. A central idea of the NHBT is that higher-level representations are assembled from lower-level representations. In particular, the edges detected in the primary visual cortex are assembled from smaller circular representations in the LGN. This particular circuit has already been proposed by Hubel and Wiesel in 1962 and has experimental evidence. We also understand a lot about the cortical dynamics of how this comes about from smart electrophysiological experiments, from looking at the inputs of pyramidal neurons and by modeling this to death. After getting orientation selectivity in V1, there is less agreement about how to get shapes, objects and faces in the higher order cortices. My favorite framework on this topic comes from David Marr, 1982, but I can't find super strong experimental evidence that teases apart a circuit implementation. Canonical circuits for assembling representations. However, perhaps an exact implementation is also not necessary. 
there is a hand-wavy standard circuit-level explanation referred to as the canonical microcircuit, Shepard, 2011. In its simplest form, the theory describes the information flow through six layers of the cortex. Lower levels, for example the LGN, project to neurons in layer 4 from where the information gets forwarded to layer 2-3 and from there back to layer 5 and from there to the next level in the hierarchy. We can therefore think of layer 4 as the input layer and layer 5 as the output layer. Cells in layer 2-3 are highly interconnected and form a type of reservoir for performing computations. Exactly what kind of computation the circuit performs is still under debate, but there are plenty of ideas floating around. See for example Sadeh and Klopath from 2021. In the NHBT, layer 2-3 might be responsible for combining lower level representations to form higher level representations. Strength of the NHBT. There is also a lot of inspired work at the intersection between machine learning and neuroscience, where the representations that emerge in deep artificial neural networks are compared with those in the brain, Yemens et al. 2014. And almost fully in the land of AI, there is the circuits work by Ola et al. 2020 that zooms in on different levels in a deep convolutional network to identify and interpret the motifs that give the network its oomph. The whole story is very appealing for many reasons. It's a simple theory with lots of experimentally testable predictions. It resonates nicely with the philosophy of reductionism. And it goes back to Hubel and Wiesel, which is a kind of magic incantation that bestows credibility. Not the full story. I'm not saying that anybody is saying that the NHBT is the full story. But it's certainly an influential story that a lot of people take as a starting point for building more complicated models. I'm certainly using the NHPT a lot when I need high-level intuitions for how sensory processing works. However, there are also a bunch of puzzle pieces that I've collected over the years that don't fit at all. Redundancies. I've laid out above how the representations of an edge emerge in the primary visual cortex from combining simpler features from the LGN. Well, it turns out that 35% of retinal ganglion cells in the eye already encode edges, Baden et al. 2016. In fact, researchers are constantly trying to one-up each other in the number of different things that are encoded already in the retina. Spatial contrast, color, motion, flicker, fine and coarse textures, absolute light level, Kim et al. 2021. Note that this is before the stimulus has even reached the LGN. In fact, the same mechanism that computes the direction of moving edges in the cortex, Rossi et al. 2020, has been identified a decade earlier in the retina, Brickman et al. 2011. From the NHPT perspective, this is just wasteful. Why would you compute a representation of edges already at the earliest stage of your hierarchy and then do the whole thing again three steps later? Even worse, it turns out that at later stages in the ventral pathway, there are still cells that only encode edges. Olchese et al. 2013. There are ways we can try to explain this away, but prima facie, this is just inconsistent with the naive perspective. Input, output, all the same. Also, get this, the supposed output layer, layer 5 of the cortex, also receives the same input as the input layer, layer 4, Constantinople and Bruno 2013. If you carefully combine your lower level representations to a higher level representation through the layer 2-3 to layer 4 to layer 5 pathway, why would you slap on the original lower level representation in layer 5 again? The problem with grandma. 
Remember that thinking about Jennifer Aniston and the grandmother from the previous section? Yeah, turns out that that's super controversial, to the point where some call it a failure and a myth, Barvich 2019, where the NHBT suggests that at the top of the hierarchy we find neurons coding for single, complex concepts. The reality in the brain looks different. Instead of a cell-to-concept correspondence, complex concepts are encoded combinatorically. Quiroga et al. 2008. Quote, Neurons might fire selectively in response to highly specific stimuli, such as Halle Berry, but this is not the only stimulus to which they respond. Additionally, sparse coding does not show the encoding of particular stimuli as separate or isolated entities. Instead, it builds a network of associations between familiar items. While a limited number of neurons responded to the specific stimuli, say pictures of Jennifer Aniston, these cells also responded selectively to specific stimuli known for the same context. Namely, Lisa Kutrov, the actress starring next to Aniston in the sitcom Friends, Barvich, 2019. End of quote. This means, in particular, that it does not make a lot of sense to talk about one particular stimulus that is encoded by a cell in the higher levels of the hierarchy. Cells need to be interpreted in the context of their local network. While this is not fully inconsistent with the NHBT, where representations in the visual cortex are assembled from simpler representations in the thalamus, it requires an additional component to explain why this scheme does not apply to the highest levels of the hierarchy. The residual. Degraded performance in deep networks. We now dive briefly into the ancient history of machine learning all the way back into the year of 2016. Up to this point, steady progress in machine learning meant improving relatively shallow networks, less than 25 layers, to squeeze out more and more performance on the ImageNet classification dataset. Intuitively, we might expect deeper networks to perform better, more layers should allow for more computation, but this didn't bear out in terms of performance, making networks deeper actually degraded performance. The reason for this degradation problem, people speculated, was that gradients tend to vanish or explode in deep networks, which makes training unstable. ResNet to the rescue. I apologize for that one. This changed when the ResNet architecture, He et al. 2016, was introduced. Quote, ResNet, short for residual networks, is a classic neural network used as a backbone for many computer vision tasks. This model was the winner of the ImageNet challenge in 2015. The fundamental breakthrough with ResNet was that it allowed us to train extremely deep neural networks with more than 150 layers successfully. Dvivedi, 2019. End of quote. The central intuition for what they did is straightforward. If your shallow network achieves good performance, adding additional components should just apply the identity transformation and forward that good solution to the output. Since they are not doing that, they must be struggling to learn the identity transformation. We can help them by adding a skip connection that, by default, implements the identity. This worked pretty well, winning a lot of competitions and enabling what Gwern calls the blessing of scale. Quote, so the larger the model, the better, if there is enough data and compute to push it past the easy, convenient submodels and into the submodels which express desirable traits like generalizing, factorizing, perception into meaningful latent dimensions, meta-learning tasks based on descriptions, learning causal reasoning and logic and so on. If the ingredients are there, it's going to happen. Gwern, 2020. End of quote. 
These skip connections also happen to be one of the central components of the transformer architecture of Aswani et al. 2017 that is currently revolutionizing machine learning. Residual stream interpretation. The vanishing gradient motivation for using a ResNet is the go-to explanation for when and how skip connections work. But there is, of course, another way of looking at this. Welcome to the stage, L. Hage et al. 2021. Rather than interpreting the skip connections as a solution to a problem, they evaluate them as an important component of the transformer in its own right. In particular, they observe that the chaining together of multiple skip connections, a residual stream, opens the door to a range of interesting new computations. They say it much better than I could. Quote, One of the main features of the high-level architecture of a transformer is that each layer adds its results into what we call the residual stream. The residual stream is simply the sum of the output of all previous layers and the original embedding. We generally think of the residual stream as a communication channel, since it doesn't do any processing itself and all layers communicate through it. The residual stream has a deeply linear structure. Every layer performs an arbitrary linear transformation to read in information from the residual stream at the start and performs another arbitrary linear transformation before adding to write its output back into the residual stream. End of quote. Interpreted as a residual stream, it is clear that the later information computed earlier on is still accessible later in the stream. In addition, there is a kind of memory management that becomes possible through the residual stream. Computational units later on in the stream can pick up and continue the output of previous units and then copy, modify, delete or merge them. Presented like this, it is clear that the residual stream might be more than just a solution to the problem of degrading performance, and that the residual stream is intimately involved in the complex calculations performed by deep networks. Put it together, it just makes sense. If you've read the previous two sections back to back, you can probably already predict where I'm going. Perhaps we shouldn't be thinking of the steps in the ventral stream as successive levels of a hierarchy, but instead we should think of them as reading from and writing into a residual stream. Instead of levels in the hierarchy, we think of stations in the stream. Instead of merging representations, we operate on portions of the stream. It's a small shift in perspective, but we can get a lot of mileage from it. Model post-dictions. Under this model, the original input ought to be added to the computed output, consistent with what we know about the direct thalamocortical input onto layer 5 in the cortex, Constantinople and Bruno, 2013. This also happens to be one of the hallmark features of the dendritic gated networks recently proposed by Sessener et al. 2020. Two, representations would still look somewhat hierarchical. As later processing steps of the stream receive the output of earlier steps as input, complexity of the representations will increase at later stages in the stream. However, the hierarchy is a lot more flexible and can dynamically route intermediate outputs from all levels to the end of the stream. 3. Computation is highly flexible. Depending on the input statistics, the same cell might be recruited in a wide range of roles. From receptive fields to sparse coding. Computations early on in the stream mostly depend on the input. Computations later in the stream depend on both the input and on computations earlier in the stream. As a consequence, a cell early in the stream has a reliable receptive field, while cells later in the stream do not strongly bind to the input and can only be interpreted as a sparse code. 
Quiroga et al. 2008. Towards Turing complete computations? The content of the residual stream might represent the type of flexible memory with contents that can be read, modified, deleted or merged at different stages in the stream. We might expect this to allow for pretty complex computations, probably bounded below by the expressive power of the transformer architecture. Representation overloading. This also happens to mesh extremely well with a recent proposal for biologically plausible backpropagation from Rezesener et al. 2020. Quote, External input to a neuron is used for gating the weights. Each neuron has a bank of weights at its disposal and the external input determines which one is used. For example, a neuron might use one set of weights when the visual input contains motion cues predominantly to the right. Another set of weights when it contains motion cues predominantly to the left and yet another when there are no motion cues at all. End of quote. Model predictions. There are also experimentally testable predictions. Task-relevant, robust representations of simple stimuli, for example edges, should be found all along layer 5 of the ventral stream. Variability of neural activity should increase not only in proportion to variability in the immediately preceding unit, but in proportion to variability in all preceding units. We might expect some degree of dynamic deleting and or editing in layer 5, where a portion of incoming thalamocortical inputs are partially or fully cancelled out by computed inhibitory input. These shouldn't even be too difficult to test compared to for like calcium imaging of dendrites in freely behaving animals. Model limitations. While I'd argue that the residual stream interpretation explains strictly more about biology than the NHBT interpretation, there are still a bunch more puzzle pieces. But at least there are some interesting hints for how to continue. 1. Which principles govern the computations within layer 2-3? I don't believe that the cortical microcircuit implements the transformer architecture. But it also doesn't have to. A traditional recurrent neural network should be able to do the same thing as the transformer. It just cannot be trained as efficiently. 2. How do we train the network to do useful computations? The specter of the missing teaching signal in the biological brain has prompted a lot of creative proposals from the neuroscience community over the decades. But the recent astonishing progress with self-supervised, i.e. autoregressive learning, shows that very capable networks can emerge without an external teaching signal. Instead of the backpropagation algorithm, which is not well suited for biological networks, the brain might implement the next best approximation, Cezanner et al. 2020, Sacramento et al. 2018. Three. What about inhibition? Cezanner et al. 2020 again have an answer. Inhibition might be responsible for gating on or off certain branches of the dendrite, effectively modulating the projection of the residual stream. And what about calcium waves and astrocytes and exo-exonic synapses and the fact that mice are basically blind and... Phew, great questions. I don't know, man. Um, one step at a time. This was an audio version of the Universal Prior Substack. If you enjoyed listening, consider subscribing to the newsletter to get a notification about a new post straight to your inbox. And with this, until next time.